0: Hello, hello. My name is April Malone. With yes, I work from home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Tegan Bombard with us from Central Florida, and she is an out school, not just teacher, but employee. So, thank you for coming in, Tegan.
1: Hi there, April. It's good to see you.
0: Yes, yeah, so Tegan and I met a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, three times in a row. It was a little bit funny. Um, I was onboarding with Out School. I actually did an episode just a few episodes ago, episode 25 with Ellen, Elton Curtis. He is also onboarding as an out-school teacher. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to you know, switch gears. He'd been teaching ESL. And he's like, I think I'm going to be an out-school teacher. And I'm also doing something like with varsity tutors or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I tried to apply with school, but they uh, rejected my first application. And I was like, oh, I'm good. I got other stuff I'm doing. And he's like, oh, no, I got accepted immediately. And I was like, well, lucky for you. Well, after that conversation, after we recorded the interview, I logged into OutSchool for another reason. I think I was looking for a class for my own kids. And it was like, your application has been accepted. Do the background check now. And I was like, what? <laughs> How many months has this been sitting here? My, it had been like seven months. Um, and so I was like, clicked, and I submitted my background check, and it was almost immediately accepted. And I've been in the onboarding process since. Um, I've taught a couple classes now. So Tegan was my, what class was that? I think I took two in a row with you. And then
1: we did. We did a classroom training session that we did that one twice. Um, And the online instructional strategies, which is a little step above that, where it's really focused on using Zoom and help using that Zoom to enhance your instruction.
0: Right. So I was being a little like overkill, I guess, and decided that... I didn't know what kind of class that online session was. I could tell that it was probably like one that you would answer questions, but I definitely didn't expect to be the only person twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time, you know, Tegan went through her slideshow and, um, you know, went through like the general basics of, you know, the overview of all of the ways that things work. Um, and then since there wasn't really anyone was else asking questions, I just kept asking them for our full, I don't know if it was 45 minutes or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I had signed up the next day, thinking I'll just, you know, try to get a little bit more information. And she and I were again—I think the only people there that day. Yeah. And so we just went off script, and I just kept asking questions. It was pretty wonderful. <laughs> it's
1: pretty, pretty awesome that we're able to do that.
0: So I'm basically going to reiterate a few of those questions today because I know that there may be questions that other people have mm-hmm. about old school. Um, but why don't you tell us first what your role is now?
1: Absolutely. So I am the onboarding specialist for OutSchool um, on our internal team. And essentially what that means is from the moment a teacher, an educator, begins to be interested in OutSchool, they, they go to OutSchool.com. They click on that teach button. Uh, you'll start receiving emails from me and you'll kind of fall into my bucket of care, so to say. And you stay right with me until around those times that you're starting to feel really comfortable. You're getting your feet off the ground with your, your online teaching business. Um, and for some folks, that's a couple weeks. And for some folks, that's a few months. And, and everybody's a little bit different. Uh, but that's essentially when you fall into my my bucket, so to say. Um, and then within that role, I help our team to develop and implement professional learning opportunities, uh, coaching to help build your business up for success. I run Facebook cohorts to, again, kind of get some ed- different educators together so that we can... Uh, lean on one another so you can have that buddy, have that camaraderie uh, while you're kind of learning the ins and outs of this new to you entity um, and just kind of embarking on this journey. Uh, So that's my internal role.
0: How many people are in that same role that you are? That sounds like a lot of people. I am the only
1: one. So I am the only onboarding specialist. Um, My team is, I, I do lead a few contractors that usually help out with those trainings, Uh, So some of the live trainings they help out with as well. Uh, But I am the only onboarding specialist for the company.
0: Uh, I met you both of those days. Actually, you weren't you usually don't even run those classes at all. So um, you were.
1: I was helping out. It's a spring break time. So everybody wants to be it's it's that time of year when folks want to take some vacation and things are starting to open back up again. So we're like, it's so I'm helping out while we do that.
0: So you said that you work with some contractors. That means you're not a contractor. Are you an employee?
1: No, I am. Yes. I was a contractor at one point without school. Um, I began contracting with them in the fall or late fall, early winter of 2019. But I am not a contractor any longer. I am a full-time employee.
0: Okay. And before that, had you been teaching as well as an independent yeah. contractor?
1: Yeah. So I started without school in June of 2017. Um, my family and I had just sold our house in Georgia, moved to Florida, I saw an ad on Facebook thinking this is not legitimate. Um, what is this? It was a brand new thing at that point. Um, our application process was quite different. At that time, you had to have a phone call. So you would send in, you know, you'd inquire a- about teaching at OutSchool. Um, and the person I actually spoke with, Laura Forty, is still an OutSchool employee. Uh, so I got to chat with her on the phone way back when. And I was so afraid. Um, it took me a few months to really get myself to the point of of teaching comfortably. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say I was still, I was still in a brick and mortar classroom. So it was about six months for me to really, truly be comfortable with what I was doing. Um, And we had the luxury of kind of taking our time with that.
0: Were you teaching um, in the classroom and then intending on switching out or looking for something different? Or is it something that kind of fell into your lap and you just transitioned?
1: I did both actually for for a couple of years. Uh, So I was using it mostly as a a side job. I taught in the evenings and I taught on weekends to supplement our income uh, because as teachers, you know, most teachers do not have a very high income there. So I was teaching, especially here in Florida. So I was teaching to supplement that. Um, And my hope was to continue and to continue growing that. And I wanted to teach on the platform full time. It was just one of those, um, when do you make that leap? Uh, you know, as the health insurance provider for the family, as the, you know, financial aspects, where I have two children, um, that's a big leap, a mm-hmm. very big leap, which is why I went into contracting. Um, and just always, I never took that full time leap, um, just out of a, a, my own fear, I think. Yeah.
0: story is actually really similar to mine, in, except for I went into the ESL teaching. Um, And you went straight to out school. And I had been hearing through the rumor mill, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. um, teachers online are always trying to recruit people to their other companies because there's usually some sort of onboarding um, promotion for, you know, bringing people in and being that recruiting, referring uh, teacher. Um, it can get a little spammy at times. And that's actually how I also found about VIP kid is an ad. I I didn't hear it from another teacher. It was exactly what you said. I'm like, what's this orange thing, you know? And, um, within a week I was hired and started teaching immediately. Um, yeah. So what did you teach back in the day? Like, let's go back to brick and mortar
1: classroom. What did you do there? So I am an elementary teacher, Um, By by my degree, by my certifications, Um, mostly I focused on literacy instruction and predominantly in low socioeconomic areas um, where I worked with the students who could not pass assessments, pass state assessments Mm -hmm. is my general area of expertise. Um, So working with struggling readers what age limit mine.
0: or age level <laughs> limit? Typically, level.
1: third, yeah, third to fifth uh, is okay. my age group that I usually have worked with in brick and mortar. I've taught every other grade, um, but third through fifth is my my general area of specialty.
0: Got it. And is that what you went straight to teaching or did you like branch out and try anything obscure? Um,
1: I No, yes and no. So I do pretty, when I, you know, with teaching on out school, I kind of stuck to what I, I knew. Um, I was mm-hmm. also embarking on homeschooling my children at that point as well, at least right. my oldest one. Mm-hmm. So I did a kind of a, a good mix of what I knew uh, in the classroom and, and kind of what I was already doing. But then I I loved the fact that I could explore activities that a traditional setting would not allow me to explore um, and do some of the instruction that a traditional test-driven, standardized type of format is not going to necessarily allow um, and so I, I broke off from that quite a bit. Uh, initially, I had started in my comfort zone, and then I did break off and do some pretty uh, different things.
0: I feel like just as a um, service to anyone who might be listening who is not familiar with OutSchool, could you go ahead and just kind of sum up what it is in a nutshell and who, uh, who teaches for OutSchool?
1: Absolutely. So OutSchool is an online learning platform where teachers create unique content uh, and unique learning experiences that they get to share with learners around the world. We are not and uh, we are not a school. Uh, it's easy sometimes to say what we are not. We are not a school. Uh, we are a, just that online platform for teachers to host their unique classes, their own content. Um, I kind of like to refer to us as the Etsy of education or the, uh, the Airbnb of education, so to say. Mm-hmm. That is what we do. Um, so we are, and with that, I think we don't have a lot of, Restrictions, you know, it's a place where educators can come and really be free to be outside of the box. And we really embrace that outside of the box box aspect.
0: And then uh, do you require any kind of certification for your teachers?
1: We do not. So our educators on OutSchool do not have to have any sort of certification. We are a global company. And so because of that, with certifications varying from state to state and country to country, that would just not be something that would be feasible. Uh, We do require an expertise, Mm -hmm. so that can be interpreted in a few different ways. Sometimes we think of a certification as a level of expertise. Sometimes people think of a degree as a level of expertise, Um, but life experiences can also provide you with a high level of expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, If I am an expert in homesteading, for example, I cannot go to a college and obtain that expertise that's going to come from living. Right. Um, absolutely. College can help to provide me with some knowledge that will be beneficial. Um, but the act of doing sometimes leads to a, a higher level of expertise.
0: When people have talked with me about out school, I usually describe it more as like, think of any kind of club, camp or class you might be able to take in an online format and you can get mm-hmm. pretty creative. Um, and so it can be like a semester run class uh, where you're going through a specific curriculum, maybe even specific mm-hmm. book. Um some people use it to supplement their homeschooling or supplement their uh, public school education for uh, extracurriculars. Um, and then there's a lot of flexibility in the types of classes that you can take, not just in terms of like the, the topics, but also like the structure. It could be like yes. a one-off, <laughs> a one-time thing or like a, a four-day they... camp or a mm-hmm. short course one week for – or one day a week for four weeks or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, Would you say that the majority of your educators, and I noticed I kept saying teacher and you kept saying educator, (laughs) uh, would you say that the majority of them are people who come out of the brick and mortar schools or is it just about a 50-50 or what would you say?
1: I think it's a little more than 50-50. Um, We do have a lot of former educators, Mm -hmm. but we also have a a significant number of what I like to call just experts. Uh, You know, we have a significant number of former teachers, but we also have experts. And it's not quite a 50-50, but it definitely, it's, and I I don't have the exact numbers. I don't know those exact numbers, Um, but we do lean a little bit more towards teacher. Um, It's a little bit more balanced towards the teacher side, but Mm -hmm. pretty, not too bad. And
0: would you say that has to do with uh, which applications have been accepted versus just the in general, more teachers are likely to apply.
1: I think a lot more teachers just in general are going to apply uh, just due to the nature of out school. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we hear that name school and we just automatically assume that that's a a teacher. And that's why I say educator is -hmm. because teacher usually has just a connotation to it of a a school, a more formal school, whereas anyone can be an educator. Um, And so that's why I use that term.
0: And I know that you know we are in um, April of 2021 right now. Mm-hmm. And a year ago, everything changed, everything got flipped. And so many uh, schools went online. So many parents pulled their kids from school, started mm-hmm. homeschooling. Um, and I know you guys have had some huge growth in the past year. Do you wanna talk about yeah. some of the growing pains or anything about how that has gone over? I know that everyone is wishing that they had put stock or invested in stock in probably Zoom
1: and out school. <laughs> right. Uh, absolutely. So it was, it was interesting. I was actually work I was contracting with school at that time, as well as teaching, um, both my online classes and in my brick and mortar. So I, oh I was pulling, it was about 80 hours a week is what I was doing at this point last year. Um, if not a little more, plus I homeschool both of my children. <laughs> so, um, I have very little memory of that time because I don't, I think it's one of those experiences that you just block it out, mm-hmm. but it was very, very busy. Uh, we would have, I worked in the support inbox. So if you were having a question as a parent or as a, an educator about out school, you talked to me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you would send it in and I was there, I was able to respond and help out because I'd been on the platform for so long. I ha- I was able to, to help out in that capacity. Um, and so it was a matter of just a, a dramatic increase in those emails into the support where we're going, oh my gosh, this number just keeps going up. We cannot, you know, you'd answer one and five more would replace it um, kind of situation. Um, but we handled it really, really well. I, I think we we really worked hard. School is a fantastic company and both the educators on the platform and the internal company worked really hard to meet the needs of, of the learners. Uh, we immediately op- create, you know, ha- opened up our .org, our not-for-profit um, side of OutSchool, and we're able to provide learners in the United States whose schools have closed with free classes. Really? Um, something mm-hmm, something that we are still running today. So any learners in sp- schools in the United States, it's not international at this time, that one is just in the United States, can receive free classes. I believe right now it's $300 worth of free classes for learners that have been impacted by school closures. Um, wow, So, you know, honestly, I think it was all handled really well with this massive amount of growth, extremely well, because we we still kept the vision about school, which is for learners to love learning at the very heart of everything that we did. And it wasn't necessarily about, oh, gosh, what do we do to manage this? It was how do we keep that vision intact and still manage this? Like that was still at the forefront.
0: I know that uh, switching from you know in-person school to an online format for so many people has been like a huge techno- technological challenge, as mm-hmm. far as like you know so many people don't have you know, maybe adequate internet or devices at home, and I'm assuming that before the pandemic really affected us um, globally, <laughs> that a lot of the people that were participating out school were um, equipped with with proper equipment and a good connection. Did you notice uh, a change as soon as like say mid-March when everything started to switch?
1: Um, I think the biggest change that we noticed and we haven't done a full run of, of too many things. We do have a lot of learners that join from a tablet or some sort of non-computer device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can have obviously an impact on you know some participation. But because of the nature of out-school classes being highly engaging and highly interactive, it doesn't lend to a negative experience. Um, Chromebooks, though, we have seen, again, that's another one that we see a little bit more because as schools close, what device do they send home with their learners that don't have one at home? A Chromebook. Yes. Because those are inexpensive that, you know, school districts can't purchase in the masses. Yes. Um, so that is what we do see. Uh, however, again, I'm going to kind of go back to our .org, our, our not-for-profit, we've actually provided through that a grant this past summer um, to help provide learners with devices. So we had a number of schools apply, and I believe we issued that grant um, back in, I want to say it was November or December. Um, I was on the committee to help review those applications, and we had some amazing applicants from around the country of small organizations that were working to help bridge that gap um, in terms of academic access, technological as. access and things like that. So we, we, we did work with recognizing that exact concern. uh, We did recognize that and work to do what we could.
0: When you said $300, was that per student or per school?
1: It is per family. Okay. So it is per family.
0: And they need to be enrolled in a school that is qualified under that program?
1: So they need to be, um, and again, I'm not, I believe the qualifications there, it's just that they have to be in a United States school district that has been impacted. So when they register, they do have to let know, um, let us know what is the school district that they're coming from um, so that we can just kind of have that verification there.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: but most schools, I'm not really sure if there have been any that have not been impacted right. by oh school goodness. closures at this point. So. Right,
0: right. Yeah. Our family has been impacted. We had all three kids in our online school. Um, it was a charter uh, in person about three miles from here. And we had all three kids move to online. And then, December, I think January, I finally, on our 100th day of school, I looked at my two oldest kids. I had talked with the principal earlier that week. And she said, yeah, the funding that we get per mm-hmm. student, per head, um, that basically stops at the 100th yep, day. Yeah, that's the, uh, the FTE like, okay, is what they call it. be a really that. good day for me to the full-time enrollment. Um, at... Right. And... So I kept my baby girl in Mm -hmm. her kindergarten class. They only see her teacher for about 5 to 10 minutes a day. Um, Otherwise, it's just, you know, worksheets and videos and me teaching her. Um, She was a half-day kid. So I think the other full-day kids would have two short meetings. Um, But that teacher is trying to manage a classroom with, I think, in the afternoon, she has like 28 kids or something like that in there. So um, I don't blame her, but we're definitely not having the full kindergarten experience that we imagined for our little girl. So back to June, um, when I put my application in, I did, Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if you're still doing it now, but I had to do like a practice test, like, or like a practice. Mm -hmm. I think it was like a five minute video of me teaching a class and, or pretending to teach a class, (laughs) And I chose to do something about Zoom tools, like some of the annotation tools that you have um, and how you can change uh, from writing to drawing to draw lines and you know text and colors and things like that. And uh, that's what we ran in with a Chromebook. I had my daughter sitting in like a, a student and we found out very quickly that the Chromebook is limited in what they allow. Um, and so we tried to mm-hmm. switch her to an iPad and again, very limited in what they can use for tools. And so it made me think. Well, you know, yeah. it's one thing if you're just taking a class, you're watching and listening. It's another one where you might need to do like collaboration on the whiteboard. Um, you would have to be really careful about what is required for those classes to make sure mm-hmm. that kids don't take a class who don't have the correct equipment. We have supply and that's lists. Like the yeah, equipment lists. I think that you, I think people are probably pretty good about letting people know what they can and can't do, or what they will need in order to conduct the class. Can you talk about some of An the out um, school? different oh, school of classes that you um, we'll
1: teach teach? There's amazing classes. There's mm-hmm. so many different classes uh, that I've seen. You have everything from a more traditional curriculum. Um, there are a lot of educators that do more traditional classes that you would find. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some really out-of-the-box classes that you would not find. I can speak. My, my son is 12, mm-hmm. my youngest son. Uh, he mm-hmm. does not typically do traditional classes. He does not want to go on and do some traditional classes. He loves Dungeons and Dragons, which is something we have never been able to find kids around where we live that that do Dungeons and Dragons. And so that's his big thing is being able to go on and do these longer campaigns. And so it's awesome and fantastic that those are there. Um, My older son does do a little bit more traditional classes. He's getting ready. He's 14. He's getting ready for some dual enrollment. So he's, you know, working towards, this college acceptance. And so he does stick a little bit more with some traditional classes, but he mixes in social. Um, We live in Florida and he loves hockey. So he'll do a a hockey social class. We're originally from New York. So he comes by the love of hockey very, very honestly. Um, And so he'll do a social class where he just gets together once a week Mm -hmm. and chats for 30 minutes with all of these other kids, his age about hockey. Um, So we have both that, you know, or another one we did, um, a tr- we took a trip and I'm, I'm going to speak as a parent here. We we took a trip to Key West. We live in Florida and Key West is the home of Ernest Hemingway. So we were going to go visit his house. And I said, you guys cannot go visit the Hemingway house until you know about Hemingway. And so my 12 and 14 year old both took a class on out school about the old man in the sea and learned about Hemingway and the influence of Key West on the old man in the sea. And by the time we got down there, they were the ones teaching us as we walked around, like and pulling out all of those different connections. And it was fantastic. Uh, so I think there's a, a wide variety. There's those classes that are academically based, but also those classes that are there for social, they're for fun, but they're still gaining from it. They're still learning and having very valuable experiences in those classes. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're basically getting a bunch of hockey kids. They're not even playing no. hockey. They don't, they're not coming with their hockey no. gear. They're not at a rink. They are just talking. Just about talking. And other stuff. and probably doing a little arguing,
1: te- knowing 14 year old boys.
0: <laughs> but the teacher or the educator is basically there as a facilitator mm-hmm. to make sure that nothing goes weird. Right, And
1: also has to, I mean, obviously for that kind of a class, I could not host a hockey class. I don't know enough about it. However, that facilitator mm-hmm. does. They need to know about hockey. They need to be an expert, as we like to say, in hockey so that if the discussion gets a little off kilter because we're 14-year-old boys and mm-hmm. we don't always know yeah. everything, uh, much to our, our dis- dismay, uh, we don't always mm-hmm. know everything, that educator has the ability to wrangle that conversation, get it back on track, and provide the accurate information. So it's a, a valuable learning opportunity, uh, both in terms of the hockey content, but also conversations. How do we get through conversations where we don't necessarily agree? How do we, as um, arch enemies of our, you know, our teams are arch enemies. How do we have a conversation in that setting? Exactly. The sportsmanship aspect of it. So it's really important.
0: I have a friend who, uh, I don't think she teaches in out school, but her son has taken some Mm -hmm. classes and, Video games are big on OutSchool, and she said that they pay, I think it was like 15 US dollars for 30 minutes of their kid having a supervised game, you know, interactive. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it was like Among Us or something like that, but basically these kids are playing a game with a moderator, uh, you know, making sure that nothing is going Mm -hmm. sour. I was like, okay, that sounds like easy money, but then again, like you and I talked about, that's not my expertise. Yeah. I have no business trying to teach some video game class just because it's lucrative. Right. If that's not what I know, I wouldn't be able to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard my kids talk about Minecraft a lot, but I wouldn't be able to run a Minecraft social group. No,
1: exactly. No. Um, and I'm the same way. You know, I hear my kids talk about the different games that they play, the Minecraft and the Roblox. And I I'm not an expert in that. I wouldn't even know how to answer a simple question. Um, about how to build or, you know, <laughs> the difference between certain things. I don't even know what it's called in Minecraft. Um modes my kids have
0: more experience. Yeah,
1: I wouldn't know how to do that. Um, <laughs> something I did and to kind of go with that, my kids, when they were younger, when I first started teaching in out school, my son was interested in Pokemon. Still is, but he's 12, so he's kind of getting to the end stage of that. Um, but he was really interested mm-hmm. in Pokemon. Not necessarily I had a huge expertise in, but I do have degrees in literacy. I'm a, my master's is in literacy instruction and ESOL. So I said, well, let's take your interest there because again, I'm homeschooling at the same time. And we did a whole thing about Pokemon phonics. And so that was a, a class that I was able to create. And no, I was not necessarily an expert on Pokemon, but I knew enough from our discussions from being, you know, my son being obsessed with them. Um, at that point, and really the focus of the class was on phonics it was on the phonetical sound so we were able to to really tie that in and i know there are other educators as well in out school that do the same thing they harness mm-hmm. in and, and the class may not be on that particular topic however we're going to use that theme within what we're doing right so it's really i
0: my kids my kids correct my pronunciation every single time i try to say that word pokemon they're like it's a pokemon. Or Pokemon, it's Pokemon, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) I say it wrong every time. Um, Let's move on a little bit and talk about um, time zones. I live in Arizona, and so I'm on the Pacific Time Coast. Um, Well, currently I am in the Pacific Time Zone because Arizona does not observe daylight savings time, and so we're the same as Pacific, but actually we are Mountain Standard Time year-round. And so when I'm looking at when I want to offer my classes, I'm thinking, you know, well, this is 6 a.m. for me, uh, but it's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to work with a global company that is dealing with teachers coming from all sorts of different places and students coming from even more countries?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So internally, um, as, as we are a remote first company, uh, OutSchool is for our internal employees. Uh, and what that means is we do not adhere to a specific time zone necessarily all employees are able to work according to their time zone Um, so for me i'm on the east coast i work east coast time zone i am uh, something that we have done as a company is all of our meetings are set between certain hours of the day so that they are at appropriate times for all of the different time zones that we're in
0: Um, and is everyone that's an employee coming from the states or north america uh, the
1: united states and canada is where we are based in uh, so yes, there we will not have employees that are in Europe or, or Asia. We do have a contractors uh, contractors that are in um, Australia, New Zealand. However, they don't come to meetings typically, so we right. we don't have to really worry about that too much. Um, but we do, as a, an internal company, to maintain that remote first. We have a set period that we have mandatory meetings can only be during that period, without explicit mm-hmm. conversation. Um, if it goes beyond okay. that, and that's really just, it's fantastic because as an East Coaster, um, I like my dinner at a certain time. Um, I want to be able to, ha- you know, be able to have an evening out and after dinner, go do the dishes with the kids and take a walk and, right. and do all of those. <laughs> you want
0: to do the dishes with well, the kids. no, I want to
1: watch them do them. Let's be real. <laughs> um, and, but you know, do all of those family things. Whereas my West Coast friends, my dinner time is their afternoon. Um, bedtime for my kids is their dinner time. And so it is yeah. really nice that I'm able to, despite working with such a vast number of time zones, we're able to stay in our own time zone. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of externally with teachers all over the world, that's something that we are actively, we, we actively recognize, um, the time zone on Outschool, when you are logged into your account will show your time zone. As long as you have your location set correctly, your time zone will be what is shown. The exceptions to that is the, um, there is a tool when you go to your, when you go to create a class, there's a tool that kind of shows the popular time zones. That is in Pacific time zone. And it will say it right there. And our training center, our educator training center, that has any live trainings are typically shown in Pacific time as well, which can be a little bit confusing. Um, and that's unfortunately due to the platform that we use there. I mean, it's not, so we're aware of that limitation. Uh, and so, you know, there's some things that we just are out of our control. Um, but anything that is in our control, we do try to make sure that that is in the time zone of the actual educator. So,
0: uh, that worked out for me because we are currently the same as Pacific, but, um, you know, because Arizona doesn't change time zones, then I have to convert everything in my mind all the time for when everyone else changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that just brought up, like, when I am searching for classes, I can only even search for classes that are between, like, 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. in my time zone right. when I'm looking for classes for my children. But as far as teaching, I could teach at any time. Yes.
1: Yes. You can schedule your classes at any point if it is outside of a um, standard time for teaching. If you were to schedule a class at 10 p.m. in the hopes of reaching learners in a different part of the world, all that's going to do is it will put next to that time in your schedule. It would have a little moon, a little half moon. And that lets you know that you've scheduled it at night. Uh,
0: so you didn't accidentally schedule at 2 a.m. Because people realizing. have done that.
1: Exactly. Um, because yes. folks have done that. They have accidentally scheduled something for 12 a.m. instead of 12 p.m. Uh, and then they get up yes. like, oh, no, I missed the class. And I'm like, yes, be careful. Be careful. Yes. Um,
0: hey, it's easy to do. Mm-hmm. I actually had an appointment for a massage the other day. And uh, the lady said, do you want to do 8 on Monday? And I was like, yeah. And I put it in my phone as 8 p.m because that's how late I often come. And she put it in the calendar as 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I got a phone call at 8.15 in the morning saying, hey. And I was like, oh, my goodness, um, 8 a.m. Okay, I'm on my way, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's easy, you know, even though I'm very aware of time zones, I've been working on um, Beijing time for the last three years. Um, and so because of that, I am thinking, well, maybe when I finish teaching my ESL classes, I could hop in and do some out-school classes um but that actually limits me you know at 6 a.m most east coast kids are not going to be interested in taking a class i mean west coast because sure. the east coast kids you know 9 a.m that might be a good time but 6 a.m not so much um unless your family has a very different schedule than our family we are not morning people so. except for i have to be um but that would basically at 6 a.m would be 2 p.m mm-hmm. in the uk or europe or um you know different parts of wherever exactly. uh, 5 p.m. my time is morning in Australia, New Zealand. Um, so it just depends on, you know, who am I trying to appeal to? And I was asking you, like, should I try to teach at all these different times so that I can appeal to these people all over the world? And you said. Go ahead.
1: Whatever works for you is yeah. the best thing to do. Um, and that really, truly, if you are wanting. we I would never encourage an educator to schedule something that would inconvenience them just to get a class on their their schedule. Um, Always do what is going to be best for you as a family, for you as an individual. Uh, Don't ever cater to a time or a schedule that's just not going to benefit you or put you um, in a predicament of, of child's care or put you in a rough predicament of anything we because that's the whole the luxury of of working from home that is the fantastic especially when you're working from home for a place like for I'm out school and doing a class um and teaching is that you have the luxury to pick and choose when you are teaching pick and choose when you are working at times that are best for you um oh
0: but i wanted to know Where do people live like that are taking the classes? Like if I want to appeal to the masses, like do we have a lot of students in Australia Mm -hmm. and New Zealand or are the majority of them like in Europe or here in the North America, in the North America?
1: We have, and I don't know if we have our exact number of countries. I know at the end of last year, we had reached nearly 200 different countries Mm -hmm. around the world. Um, and so we do, well, we do have a lot of students and a lot of kiddos in the United States and Canada and in our, you know, four or so major time zones. We saw Alaska and, and Australia as well. Um, we do have learners in just about, I believe, every other time zone as well. Uh, are the numbers as much? No. Right. We don't have quite as many. You're not going to go and find uh, the same numbers in Eastern Europe as you are going to find on the Pacific coast of the United States. Um but also they don't, you know, English is not the primary language in those mm-hmm. countries as well. So being an English language platform, we do have some limitation to that in terms of our global audience. Um, something that we are also recognize, you know, we, that we recognize and a and hope is to obviously expand that. Uh, however, right now we do are, are limited to English speakers. So mm-hmm. that will be a little bit of a, a hindrance and a roadblock no, there. Block are- there. There are some in teachers who
0: are teaching um, like all Spanish classes or language classes, but they still are mm-hmm. using the English platform and uh, talking with parents in the English language. So that still needs to be a requirement yes. at this point, right?
1: Um, it, it does, but also we absolutely welcome completely immersion, mm-hmm. complete immersion classes. Uh, you know, as an internal team, I think we, we have quite a few languages okay. represented. Uh, that we can speak as well. So I think that would never be a, mm-hmm. a true blocker. Um, as long as you're living in one of the supported countries that right now we can do, which is the United States, Canada, um, the UK, Australia right. and New Zealand, as long as you're in one of those five countries, and that is your mm-hmm. place of residence, you should not let language okay. be a barrier. So a degree
0: is not a requirement, but living physically in one of those five countries is a requirement. So this is maybe not the correct uh, idea for someone who is like a digital nomad and trying to like bounce all over the world right now.
1: Right. Which I don't think anybody is really nomading at this time uh, with the pandemic, but it's it's perfectly fine to travel. We have had teachers who have traveled overseas and mm-hmm. have even taught their classes from overseas. And that's perfectly fine. We just ask that it's not a um, forever type of thing, right? Because we do need to have, if, a, if an educator is not back in the United States, we are not able to complete some right. of the things that we need to do. So the um, banking so that's needs important. to come from the U.S.? Okay. Well, it's all through PayPal. Okay. So it's, but once you're doing that background check, we only have certain countries that we can do a background check in.
0: So um, I know we're running out of time. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter episode today, but a few things that have come up for me as I've been um, onboarding and starting to teach my first classes is I I made a mistake my very first day. (laughs) I decided to open up a class for the following day and I wanted to um, promote this to some of the groups that are unofficial on facebook there's some that are um, geared for families that are wanting to support the brand new teachers um and sometimes they can get maybe mm-hmm. a discount or you know with not the expectation or a requirement of giving a nice review but they're going to be kind and if there's going to be um criticism mm-hmm. or negative feedback they would probably message that um it's kind of a safe place for teachers to get started and everything Um, And so I joined a couple of those groups, which I thought was going to be fun for me to also maybe possibly get a discount with my own kids. Well, I promoted my, you know, classes I had set up for like the following day. I had, I think, three or four different times. And what I didn't realize as a new teacher was that if I didn't have any enrollment in those classes with um, 24 hours out, they would all be canceled. And so throughout the day, I kept getting an email saying, your class has been canceled. Your class has been canceled. And I was like, oh, I was hoping to get some last minute people, you know. Um, so that was a little bit of my learning curve. <laughs> um, are there any things that you've seen people, that, um, seen people do that might kind of hinder their opportunity to get started or um, any things that would be really good for a successful start?
1: Right. So uh, sometimes we look to other people and we see the success that someone else is having. And again, like I said earlier, it happens at different time periods. Everyone, you know, that getting their feet off the ground happens. It can happen in a week for one person three weeks for another six months for someone else, right? Everyone is very, very different. But sometimes we gravitate towards those people that were very successful very, very quickly, um, whether they truly were or they're telling us that they were. Um, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And we, we look at that and we're like, well, what if I want to be able to do that too, I want to do exactly what they just did and take off and have this amazing business that is going to, um, oh my gosh, everything. I'm going to have a new car, a new house. I'm going to have all of these things. It's a little bit unrealistic. It really truly is. It is a very unrealistic idea. And so I think the best thing that a new educator can do is accept that and, and be comfortable with their pace. Um, like you were mentioning that they were canceling, you are welcome. And we definitely would say uncancel those classes if you yep. are okay with it. You know, if there yep. is even one learner. So we do ask the educators Give a minimum of 24 hours notice to any families that are enrolled if they're going to cancel. So if you are uncanceling a class, we'll say 23 hours ahead, at that point, you are basically promising anyone who enrolls, yep. I will teach this class. Mm-hmm. It will happen. Um, because that's a poor experience for those kids. Imagine being, you know, you've got kids. They are so excited about this class. And now it's an hour beforehand. And they're not going to be able to take yeah. or it. Or they've already or- mom and dad supplies. had enrolled them they've already got the supplies exactly or maybe it was a class because the parent you know mom and dad have a meeting and they needed something for that hour and now they don't have it uh you never you just don't know so I would absolutely say to do to uncancel those classes and be open to teaching below that minimum yeah. number of learners I did. um I and I think yeah, that would be fantastic because even our most successful educators have mm-hmm. taught below their minimum
0: just to get started, especially and to get ratings. I mean, reviews and ratings. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you ever are reviewing a uh, online teacher, please be kind. You know, um, you can be honest; that's totally fine. But that private uh, message is is really going to be appreciated um, because a negative review can really, really, really impact their future um, teaching ability, and they might have just been having like some technical Absolutely. issues or a rough day. Um, So far we have, oh, go ahead.
1: And a lot of times, and a lot of times with those technical issues, it's very hard to pinpoint where is that technical issue coming from? Is that coming from my computer? Is that coming from the kiddo's computer? Um, It's very hard as both a parent and as an educator, it's hard to identify what is the root of that. So, I mean, really, the instruction is what should be included within mm-hmm. the review, not the any sort of technical issue, because, again, we just don't and know where that's far coming as, from. as like,
0: who's successful, I know that there's a lot to do with personality and, like, an online presence. You know, some people just are really, you know, gregarious and, you know, charismatic in their, like, expression and engaging. Um, and so even though mm-hmm. one person teaches, you know, I, I know that there are people that are doing stock market classes and are wildly successful in that. And then I see other people trying to open them up, and I'm like, that person doesn't seem like they have the demeanor to really be able to pull off that huge class Mm -hmm. like these other people are doing. Um, My kids have taken a juggling class. Mm -hmm. The lady was very mild-mannered, but it was a good experience. Um, We had one that they took. It was a, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you call it, an escape room. And that lady was like wearing a costume. She had a wig on, and she was like actually like a game show host. It was very engaging, and the kids were like yelling out their answers. It was so fun. Um, and then I have a, a kiddo who's taking a coding class, and it's very systematic. Um, asking really good questions, and we've got some, you know, people who are not um, English is not their first language in that class, and it's going really well. So,
1: I mm-hmm. feel like that's the joy, though, is you don't have to be doing. What is it? The TPR, I think, yeah, especially that. coming from VIP kid, that's what you have. To, you do not have to do that on out school. Um, You know, that will be a great thing for some families and other families right. are like, I don't want that. Uh, mm. Just be you. And I'm you. sure that's just, difficult just for some be people you. who are
0: coming out of teaching ESL and having those like requirements. If you must be, you know, using your hands a lot and other people are just like, oh, please don't, mm-hmm. oh, please don't. Hey, uh, Tegan, I know you need a run. Do you have any last words you'd like to share with anyone who might be embarking on working from home or interested in out-school?
1: Just in terms of working from home, I think the best thing is to to really find your balance. Uh, You know, a year ago, I would not have been able to sustain having and juggling all of these different things. So you have to be able to find your balance between your work, your life, um, and everything else that you have going on. Uh, but in terms of OutSchool, I just encourage everybody to, to check out OutSchool. We've got some exciting news that's coming forth today. So uh, really exciting news coming forth. So be sure to kind of check that out uh, in terms of some, some funding and some exciting things that are coming down the pipeline for, for educators, for the platform in general. Um, but to, to check us out, whether it's for classes for your kids if you're interested in teaching, we would love to see what you, you know, to have you and to have some awesome new classes up on the platform, because uh, it really can be a fantastic opportunity for educators and learners, both. be uh, really awesome Well, Thank you so much,
0: Tegan, and on and on and on and on about this. We've already talked about it for three hours in the past, but I'm going <laughs> to let you go. Um, thank you so much for sharing this time with me. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Yes. All Thanks all right, for well, having this me, This has April. been
0: April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home and Tegan Bombard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye there. So Tegan needed to sneak out, and that's cool. I wanted to just chat a minute about what my experience has been like teaching at OutSchool, and it has been positive so far. I've actually only taught one class, but I have about five in the works. And if anyone is interested in checking out out OutSchool, there is a thing. And I feel like um, it can be a little spammy. Um, At times, I, I think I alluded to this earlier, but sometimes people are like, join my class, but use my link because then you can get, you know, $20 credit and I get $20 credit or, you know, join out school as a teacher, but use my link because, um, if I recruit you or if I'm the referring teacher for you, then, Um, I will get something out of it. And that is true. Like, if you are interested in school, I would be happy to sit down and have a conversation with you on Zoom. We talk for an hour about it. I would be happy to talk about what my application process was like. Um, I talked a little bit about how my application was originally rejected, and then it was accepted. And we didn't get into that earlier. But um, Tegan told me when we met uh, a couple weeks ago that what happened is they had a huge flood of applications, like an enormous number of applications over the summer. Um, she didn't mention how much they grew, but they grew probably more than 10 times um, from what they had been, you know, a year ago. And she said that, you know, they were denying a lot of applications. And I had seen um, some of my friends who were teaching out at school, they were recommending, you know, apply four or five times and you just have to tweak this and that and the other thing. And when I put my application in, I felt like it was pretty solid, actually. I had been teaching online for two and a half years at that time. Um, I feel comfortable on camera. I did pick a topic that was a little bit sketchy. Um, doing the out-school, um, we do everything on Zoom. And with Zoom, uh, there are some features such as the chat box and the, the whiteboard annotation tools, which can be a little bit mishandled by some students who are maybe more I- immature um, or less mature would be the better way to say that. And so I kind of picked a topic that was maybe... Controversial, some people are like, oh no, don't ever turn on annotation tools. You know, you're just opening yourself up to a world of trouble. Um, And same thing with the chat box. Some people just disable it or they'll only allow the students to communicate with the instructor. Um, And I just thought, well, maybe I just picked, you know, the wrong thing. I thought I had a really solid class. I was letting kids practice um, all these different annotation tools and how they might be, and talking about how they might be able to be used in the class. Um, And so She said, actually, that later on, they, you know, I think they gave it a few months. And in October, they went back and they reviewed all of those applications that they had rejected and brought in a whole bunch more teachers. And so my application had probably been approved for six months, (laughs) almost, (laughs) before I noticed. Um, I don't know how I missed that email, but uh, I did not know. Um, And I probably would have taught six months sooner. I I like it. Some of the things that we didn't talk about in our um, interview was pricing, pricing. So out-school teachers have a, um, autonomy as to what they want to charge per class. You could charge $1 per class as a minimum. Um, you could charge $20 per class, per student, actually. Um, and you can set how long your class is going to be. Some of them some of them are 20 minutes. Some of them are an hour and a half. Um, there are some, I think that for the most part, people expect it to be probably between 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but you do have a lot of quick ones. Some of them are like... Um, like a kindergarten roundup and you'll see like a lot of preschool teachers and kindergarten teachers just doing the ABCs and calendar and days of the week kind of thing. Um, I think the class that I taught was 55 minutes and it is easy to, to roll past that. Or if there's any technical issues, you know, you don't want to ever teach less than what you've committed to, but you have to be really careful if you are doing back to back classes that you're able to get out of one and into the next. So um, the classes that I'm teaching, it's kind of funny. Um, One of the things that I've been doing in my community in my neighborhood and the Buy Nothing group that I'm part of in my city is I've been filling up people's foaming hand soap containers. Um, I just take a little bit of Dr. Bronner's, like the liquid soap, I actually have some with me here. And I can put in, it's like a racial thing. So maybe one piece or one part um, of my liquid soap to three or four parts of, of distilled water and i can reuse my foamy hand soap container again and again and again and again again again, like for a year and i'm looking at all these people that are buying these foamy hand soap containers and i'm like you know they are three dollars at the store ten dollars at the store depends on if you're going to bath and body works or what and i've learned that you can even take like soft soap and dilute it it's more of that that's more of like one part uh liquid soap to maybe four or five parts water and it'll still do foam uh, foam up for you and it's really nice because you don't take as much. Um, you don't use as much soap. You can take a refill bottle and refill that same little one again and again and really keeping things out of the, the landfill. Um, some of the other things, and that was actually really a bit, really about the conversation about reducing and reusing before recycling. Um, we do have like a recycling crisis right now, um, especially here in the States. You know, we had contracted with China that they would buy our plastic recycling and they were taking it and bringing it back into the factories and making new plastic things and I think it was like 2019 perhaps that all kind of fell apart and they are not wanting to buy our plastic anymore and so you know we faithfully put our things into the recycling bin um, where I live we all are issued a recycling bin um, for our household and we can bring it as huge just as big as our trash can bring it out to the curb every week if we want and what I'm finding is that, a lot of that stuff isn't actually going to the recycling centers anymore, and it breaks my heart. So, um, so it was really a conversation about reducing and reusing um, the products that we have um, and being mindful about the decisions that we make of what we're putting on our body. Um, and, like, for instance, even just transportation costs. Like, a lot of things, um, foaming hand soap uses a ton of water. It's actually very watered-down soap. And I said, what you're basically paying for is them to ship water around where you can buy a gallon of water um, or distill your own water, actually, you know, that's locally sourced. And so you're not paying these huge shipping costs for just water. Um, Another class I want to teach is about charcuterie words. And I hope I said that correctly. I'm going to have to really nail it down before I actually do the class. But uh, my family, we've been focusing on making, like, basically a tray or a platter or a cutting board Full of, you know, fruits and vegetables and meats and cheeses and crackers and things like that. And that class is going to be talking about it being artistic and, you know, weighing the the board with um, texture and color and, and size and shape. And not, you know, just focusing everything in one area, not putting all the blueberries and um, grapes in the same area, but to kind of, you know, spread it out. So I'm actually looking forward to that one. And I might even offer it as a class, a club and a camp. So the way a camp works is it's like maybe say four sessions or five sessions or seven sessions, but in a very short um, succession, usually one day every week or what am I saying? (laughs) That would be more like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like a five day class, five days in a row, and then you're done. Um, A short class would be maybe one or two sessions, um, actually like two, three or four sessions, but maybe one class meeting per week. Um, Then there's like the, I mentioned earlier, the one-time class, which like when my kids took this juggling class, they actually, it was kind of a craft class where they figured out how to cut open tennis balls, fill them with rice, you know, and then they covered them with duct tape and balloons to hold it all together. And it was a one-time thing, and then they took about 30 minutes to do the the craft part of it to learn how to make their own juggling balls. And then the other 20 minutes or so was practicing juggling um, for the very first time. So not a lot of expectation of, you know, mastering it. And the reason this lady was offering the one-time class is because she wanted people to enroll in her ongoing class of, you know, juggling practice, or it was like a semester-long type thing. Um, so a lot of times these one-time classes might be an opportunity for you to be able to meet a teacher and see if it's something that, you know, you might like. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring Tegan in today is not only is something like out school, and there are other platforms that do teach, um, your children online, um, online schools and things too, but this one is, um, so open. You can, you can really meet the needs of your family and, and if you're looking for academics and you're looking for a structure that you're going to have every single day, that's out there. But if you just want some fun or supplement, um, do something like on Saturday or something like that, that's also out there. Um, another class I wanted to teach, let me think. Oh, I've got my melodica here. Um, a melodica is like a panel and like a recorder. So basically you put your mouse on this little mouthpiece or they sometimes have a tube. Um, and then you can play the keyboard like you would, um, a piano. And I guess this is just trying to show that there's the sky's the limit. Like you definitely could have, I'm talking, I'm going to be teaching some intro reading classes. One of the things that has come up for me though, is the curriculum that I wanted to use the books that I wanted to use. I need to get permission from the publisher because I did not write those books. Um, there's the book that I have used to teach my children how to read that I really wanted to get permission for. And I emailed, but, um, the author, the main author of that book died a couple of years ago. And so I'm trying to reach out to the publisher. I should probably just try to reach out to one of the other authors to see if I could get um, permission through those avenues. But I am waiting. Um, And so that would be the sort of thing that I would love to be able to do because I've done it for my own children. Um, As Tegan said, you know, that's her area of expertise. She literally has degrees in that. I have experience. I have been Um, I helped teach six of my brothers and sisters how to read. I've taught my own children how to read. I've been teaching literally thousands of students in China how to read. Um, And I've used some of these books that I'm talking about as a supplement to those classes. So I was hoping to be able to use that and to kind of mix and match and have some fun with it. One of the other publishers, um, the Bob books, for instance, those are very popular books that I have used to supplement with my kids. Um, And I reached out to them and they said, yeah, we are giving an open-ended permission for anyone to use anything that's published by Scholastic until some date in June of 2021. And then that permission is going to end. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to, you know, go through the work of establishing um, a class and slides and everything for something that's going to just be ending in two months. Um, So I have to give a little thought about what I'll do or ask if, you know, that permission will be extended or not. And then the third one that I wanted to reach out to, um, really fantastic books that are similar to Bob books, but better, um, better pictures. And I I do like the structure and and just the whole format of those books a little bit better. But I started to go into their um, website and their publisher and the, it's so much work. Like every single book I want to use, they want to know how many images in that book? How many like pages would it be? And I would have to like, and these are like little tiny books that are all in like a little package. And I'd have to go through and count all these things and answer all these questions. um, And it would be for every single pack. And there's multiple um, of these sets that I would want to be using. And honestly, it stopped me. Um, I spent a couple hours starting my application for using these books and I quit. So I might go back to that. I don't know. Um, But when I talked to Tegan, I was telling her the story and she's like, yeah, that's why it's best to just design your own. So, um, but again, that is not my area of expertise. And so I don't feel as qualified to just develop my own phonics program when I've already found, you know, a curriculum, found curriculum that worked well, curricula that worked well. I'm trying to think if there's any other. I have lots of ideas of classes that I like to teach, and they're very eclectic. And that's another question I asked Hagan. I said, you know, is it a good idea to have, like, you know, really varied ideas? You know, and and she said, well, I actually do recommend that people find something that is um, under their area of expertise that they can speak to um, and to have consistency so that when um, a student finishes your course that they're going to be wanting to take the next one with you and if i'm going from malata to Melodica to foaming soap to charcuterie boards you know there's not really like a natural progression for that um and i get it so i'm i'm thinking about what i'm going to do there um i don't want to be known as the foaming hand soap lady as my only thing like that's not what i'm going to build my business on it's just the fastest thing that i was able to get in i should go ahead and and put in that zoom um annotation tools class that i was going to teach um, I just was feeling a little burned from my <laughs> application being rejected from a while ago. So, um, But I have seen a few people have um, very good success with things like teaching baking. Um, I have a friend who was teaching, I think, buttercream flowers, something like that. I have another friend who has a farm, and she was teaching. Um, she would actually bring the kids out with her when she'd do the chores. And she would um, basically let them meet her animals on the farm. And it would. And every day, I think they would talk about a different animal, like a different farm animal. Um, and some of these people are bringing in really good money. So what I was going to say earlier is you get to set your price. So you get to set your time, you set your topic, and your price. And so some people will have a limit of how many students they would be willing to have. Um, OutSchool does have some recommendations. If you have um, six-year-olds... Um, three, four, five, six-year-olds—they don't want you to have more than six kids. They think that that, you know, the younger age kids are going to need a little bit more help. Um, they might not be able to handle a very long class or a class with a lot of students that might feel a little overwhelming. Um, but if you have students who are up to age eighteen, which I think is the limit, um, they will let you have—I think—up to eighteen or twenty kids in these uh, sessions. So. What I have seen, and I've done the math for some of these people, I mentioned the stock market class earlier. There was a lady that was allowing people, She and she has a degree in this or experience. Like She definitely is qualified, but she was um, teaching something related to the stock market and would let the kids play with their money. Like they had money um, that they were assigned, fake money, obviously. Um, and then they would see how they would do in the stock market. And that lady's classes were sold out, like all of them, and in months out. And I looked at how much she charged per kid. And then I looked at how many classes have sold out, and I realized this lady is making way more than six figures a year, way more, and uh, probably like a quarter million just teaching that one class. And I was like, that's lucrative, but I am not qualified to teach that kind of class, and I can't, I don't wanna replicate something that someone else has already done. So you have to definitely find what you're doing, but if you are in the middle of a job hunt, or if you're looking for a change of pace or you are done teaching online um, for, your zone, uh, for your school district, but you're interested in having more you know, freedom in what you want to do and when you want to do it, like I would definitely recommend Outschool as something to explore as an option. Like I mentioned before that there are many other platforms that you can teach on in different ways, like set up courses and things like that. But this is a place where people are right now. Um, a lot of people are on this platform. They have had really huge growth. And it's kind of a place to be right now. So definitely check it out. If you want to find me, I'm April Malone on at OutSchool. Um, or send me a message through yesiworkfromhome.com if you can't find me. And I'd be happy to let you know what I'm teaching. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. I am having to kind of be a little bit careful about when I'm going to set my classes. I've been trying to preserve my weekends. Um, I've been trying to get back my weekends for my family. And right now my weekends look like Friday and Saturday. So I'm willing to teach on Sundays, but Fridays are really open, so I should teach on. What's, what's happening, though, I have to be careful that I don't let everything encroach on my time with my family. And so that's one reason why I was looking at teaching, possibly, you know, looking towards the kids in the U.K. Or in, um... I think the U.K. would be really good because if I was teaching at 6 a.m. in the morning, it's 2 p.m. for them. Um, as long as that's a good time, 3 p.m. for them, it would be coming home from school Um, but she did say that there aren't as many students from there. So I will have to be a little bit mindful about, you know, when I'm scheduling my classes. Um, are they times that would be, you know, available for a lot of people that are actually looking for them here in the States? Some people are looking for morning classes or afternoon classes or weekend classes. It just depends on, you know, who's going to be overseeing that. Are their parents going to be helping them log in? Are these kids going to be able to log in for themselves? The other reason I wanted to bring this lady in today is because, um, You know, a lot of people who are working from home are also having their students working from home. Um, I know that a lot of kids are coming back into the schools now. Um, But there are still some of us who are choosing to homeschool or choosing to work from home while overseeing the kids in online school. And like she mentioned, this can be a way that your kids could be occupied while you're in a meeting. But take note, if you are in a meeting, like on Zoom, and your kids are in a meeting, like on Zoom... Um, that's double the bandwidth, you know, for your internet. So be careful that you don't always, um, you know, you're going to have to have, like, fiber speed internet to be able to handle, you know, multiple people in video conferences at the same time. So just a little extra food for thought. I just wanted to close out with that. And I'm so thankful that Tegan came and met with us today. And, all right, this has been April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.